So as we are at the end of the year, I'm sure there are some people here who look back over the year and they are just rejoicing. Because it was a great year and you experienced God and you're just full of what he has done or full of opportunities you've had. But I'm also sure there's people here, you look back over the year and you think, wow, this might have been the worst year of my life. It's very possible that things have been so hard, so difficult. Maybe the disappointments that you experience in yourself, with yourself, or the dis disappointments you experience with other people, and it's just heavy on you. And you look forward to 2019 and you just think, well, hopefully this is going to be a better year because I can't handle another one like this. And God has answers for these things. We're going to look at some of them. Maybe some of you look into the new year and you're fearful and worried. What is the new year holding for me? What does God have to say about these things? The first thing uh, I want to say, and, and that I believe is for some of us here this morning, God really wants to say to you, the way I view your life is not the way you view your life. And the way I see things is not the way you see things. I see things in a particular way and you see it in another way. And God is inviting you to start seeing things in the way that he sees them. What do I mean? If you look back over the last year and you look forward into the year, what, what is coming to your mind just generally as you, as you look at the year that is past, the year that's before us? Very often the way we think is, what are the opportunities that I had or what are the opportunities that I will have? Now there's nothing wrong with that, but what is God's focus? It's very different. His focus is intimacy. The first question that God has for you is not, what kind of opportunities did you take or miss? The first question God has is, I invited you to have intimacy with me. Did you respond? And we had that this morning already. The dove, the presence of the Holy Spirit, he longs to dwell with us. The question is, is that our priority as well? Because we can be busy with so, so, many, thing, so many things and worried about so many, so many things. And God's focus is, look, I want to have intimacy with you. My desire is to reveal myself to you in ways that you've not experienced before. That is what's in my heart for you. That is why I created you. I didn't create you to run around and do so many things and whatever. All of that has its part, yes. But my desire is to have fellowship with you. My desire is to reveal my heart to you. I want to show you what I'm really like. And I'm inviting you in. When we look at our lives and we look at the past here, very often the way we look at it, we are like, okay, where do I need to improve? We look at the things that we did well, the things we didn't do well, and then we think, okay, where do I need to improve my life? Where do I need to improve my walk with God? That's not God's perspective. God's perspective is not improvement. God's perspective is death and then new life, which is something very different. <laughs> uh, and some of us who are smiling know exactly what that is like. <laughs> Because we are there and we just hope that God just change me and make me a better Christian, make me a better person. And God's like, no, 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 no. I'll bring you to the end of yourself. Because that's where you need to be in order for you to really agree what I deserve and what Christ has done already by dying on the cross is my own death. And I embrace that now because I see where, where I'm going with my ambitions, with my desires, with, with my will, with my strength. It's destruction. I don't want that anymore. Lord, just thank you. 
You have set me free by dying on the cross. I died with you. You set me free from that. And so after death, then comes new life. And we've heard some of that already this morning as well. And that is God's plan for 2019 for each one of us. There are things in your life and in my life that are not dead yet. And God wants them to die. Because it's only after death that new life comes. That's what Jesus said. Unless a, a grain of, of wheat falls into the ground and what? And dies. It will remain alone. And there may be areas in our lives where God has been speaking to you again and again, saying, look, I want this to die in your life. No fruit will come out of that area in your life unless it dies. Are you willing to lay it down and to say, yes, Lord, I agree. When you say this needs to die, it has to die. Then new life will come. We often think in terms of success and failure. Where was I successful in the last year? Where, was, where, where did I fail in the last year? That's not the way God looks at things. God's question is, have you been faithful? Not successful. It's a very, very different thing. God is not concerned about the success. We can leave the results of our faithfulness to him. He's able to handle it. He's almighty. He just has this question, are you faithful to what I show you? Our concern is often, what do we do? God's first concern is, do you abide? It's very different. Our focus is, have we done all that we should do? God's question is, have you received all that I wanted to give you? And it's just very simple. If you have somebody who's almighty, and then you have yourself... Guess what? <laughs> Somebody who is almighty can do much more than you or I. So to receive from him is the logical thing. Instead of worrying, what can I do for God? Well, what we can do is very, very little. In fact, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. So that's the invitation that Jesus has for each one of us. And that is really what repentance is. Repentance is changing the way we think. Starting to think God's thoughts after him. And God says, my, my thoughts are not your thoughts. The way you think, the way I think, it's very, very different. As high as the heavens are above the earth, that's how high my thoughts are compared to your thoughts. They are very, very different. And that's the question. Are we willing to repent of our ways of thinking and to say, Lord, the way you think, that is the only way reality is. My thoughts, that's self-deception. That's not reality. What you think, that's reality. That's the way I want to think. And that really is the, the question that Jesus has, I believe, for some of us. Not so much, have you done all that you should, but have you done the one thing that is needful? And that comes from the story where Mary and Martha have invited Jesus into their home. And Martha is busy with so many things. And then Mary is just sitting at Jesus' feet. And Martha gets angry with Mary. And then she gets angry with Jesus. Why are you not doing anything? Can't you see? I'm doing all the work and my sister, she's just hanging around here at your feet. And how does Jesus respond? Look, Martha, you are worried about so many things. And it's possible there are some here this morning, you are worried about so many things. And there's only one reason for it. You're not sitting at his feet. Because once you're sitting at his feet, you realize he is able 
to care for everything that worries me. I don't, I don't, I can't, and I don't need to. Because if I have somebody who's almighty and somebody who loves me completely, I don't need to worry anymore. I can actually hand it over to him and say, Lord, these are the things that are too big for me. These are the things I can't handle, but they're not too big for you. You can handle them. And then we can just sit at his feet and receive what he wants to reveal of himself. So that really is the invitation. And Jesus has it in different ways. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. If you are weary and heavy laden and you look back at the last year and you think, my goodness, the things that I had to carry, it just drained me. There's the invitation. Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. If you just come to me, I'll give you something that no one else can give. I'll give you rest for your souls. And then don't just come once, but then actually stay with me. Learn from me. Because I'm gentle and humble in heart. That's a beautiful teacher <laughs> to have. Somebody who's gentle and lowly in heart. And then what? Then you will find rest for your souls. And very often the way we live with Jesus, it's just we're coming to him, we receive the rest, we receive the peace that he has, and then we're off again. And then we're coming back again, and then we receive again, and then we're off again on our own way. And the plan that Jesus has for 2019, for all of us, is no, 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 stay in my presence all the time. Where all the time you can receive from me. All the time I want to minister to you my peace, my rest. We look back at the last year and we look forward to the, to the new year. Uh, there's one verse that, that really sums it up very well. It's in Hebrews 12, verse 1 and 2. Hebrews 12, verse 1 and 2. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, now that's all the heroes of faith in chapter 11, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, Looking to Jesus. That's the way we run. Looking to Jesus. Not just once. <coughs> again and again and again every day. Constantly just looking to Him. Looking to Him. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. Um, I'll just read the Passion Translation. Um, it has an interesting twist to it. As for us, we, all, we have all of these great witnesses who encircle us like clouds, so we must let go of every wound that has pierced us and the sin we so easily fall into. Then we will be able to run life's marathon race with passion and determination, for the path has already been marked out before us. We look away from the natural realm and we fasten our gaze onto Jesus, who birthed faith within us and who leads us forward into faith's perfection. That's the invitation the writer to the Hebrews makes. Lay aside every weight, everything, every wound, everything that hinders, lay it aside. And sin, which so easily, it's just like, is it ivy? Well, I, yeah, ivy, I think. It just grows, and without you doing anything, it just like entangles the tree. 
And that is what sin does. It just entangles us. It, it's enough if there's a little bit of ivy growing and just very soon it's just tangling around the whole tree. And that's exactly what sin is like. It just grows somewhere, but then very, very quickly it just grows and it tangles us and it strangles us. And the end, in the end we can't run anymore. And that's what it says. Lay it aside. Lay it aside. How do we do that? How do we do that? And we need to see there's a, there's a difference, and the Passion Translation makes the difference there and even calls it wounds. There's a difference between wounds and, and between sins. And the way God deals with these two areas in our lives is very, very different. If you look back over the last year, it's very possible that some of us have been wounded in the last year in a way that you've never been wounded before. Just when we were in Africa, uh, Alex and I, or at least I, experienced the greatest disappointments in ministry so far. And, and as I was thinking about it, I, I couldn't even connect to the pain really, but then as I prayed and other people prayed as well, Lord, what is this really? It, it, and then the, the picture that came to me really was like a part of my heart is torn out. That's what it's like. And I'm sure that some of us here look back over the year and feel like, yeah, that's exactly what my year was like. Part of my heart was just torn out and, and the wound is there. What does God do with the wounds? He brings healing. He brings healing. How does he do that? How does God bring healing to the wounds in our life? Different ways. and We don't have time to go into, <laughs> into all of those things. But what brings healing to our hearts, what brings healing to the wounds that are there, is God revealing himself. When God reveals himself, healing comes. When God reveals his love to us, his care, his compassion, healing comes. When he reveals his gentleness, healing comes. When he reveals to us what he thinks about ourselves, other people, situations, when God speaks, healing comes. And that is why we need to seek him. To hear from him, Lord, what do you have to say about the situation? Because... All of us, we go through difficult situations, we go through painful situations, and what we do is we draw our own conclusions from the situations we experience. And most of the time, the conclusions we draw, they are not right. They are lies. But they got, get stuck somehow, somewhere in our heart, and we believe them. And that is why it's important for God to speak, for Him to reveal the truth, so that we can then realize, actually, what I started believing, maybe about myself, that I'm not good enough, it's actually not the truth because that is not what God is saying. He is saying something else about the situation. And then I can put my trust in what he has to say. And we had it, I think, twice already this morning as well. And so I believe that is what the Holy Spirit is saying to some of us, that there's offense in your life where you have been offended by someone. And God wants to speak. He wants to reveal something about that offense that is there. He wants to speak and, and, and reveal how does he see the situation. How does he see you in the situation. He wants to speak. Because very often what makes it so difficult for us to let go is we feel if I let go of this offense or if I let go of the pain that is there, we are confirming the lie that we started believing about ourselves. That's why we don't want to let go because we feel, but if I let go, then, then maybe the other person is right in what he or she said or did. 
And then maybe really what I thought about myself, that really is true then. And so that is why it is important for God to speak. And when God speaks, letting go becomes easy. Because it's the overflow of His love working in our heart. It's not effort anymore. It's the overflow of what He is doing in our hearts and in our lives. And the second thing that we need to deal with here in this passage is sin. And really the way to deal with sin, there's only one way to deal with sin. And that is repentance. And it's very important to see that that is the only way. Because if we look at the way the church is being influenced by society and the kind of teachings are around, just, just have a look out. Is repentance actually being taught? The books you read, the things you, you watch on maybe YouTube or whatever, are the people talking about repentance? Because very often they are not anymore. And it's just about developing your character and developing your full potential and whatever. Now what is repentance? Repentance is not regret. It's not self-pity. And I believe there are some people here this morning who look at the last year maybe, or even longer than that, and you realize, yes, what I've done is wrong, I have sinned. But instead of repenting, you're, you're in a bubble of self-pity and regret, and you just feel bad about yourself. That's not the solution. That is not repentance. And there's no way out if we're in that kind of bubble. Because it's self-focused. Repentance is not just feeling sorry for what you've done. You can feel sorry for what you've done and still remain in that bubble. The verse that probably describes best what um, repentance is in Proverbs 28, in verse 13. <clears throat> it says this, uh, Proverbs 28, verse 13. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. But he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Maybe we have the attitude, well, why can't I just leave the, the past behind? Because that's what Paul's talking about. He says, no, I just forget the things that lie behind and I strain forward towards the goal and just forget about the past and just move forward. Paul could only speak like that because he had made another experience. And this is the experience he made. This is a faithful saying that Christ came into, world, into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost, but I have received mercy. That was the experience. He had received mercy. And once we know, yes, I have received mercy, God has forgiven, I am cleansed, that's when we can forget the past, but not before. And so the question is, well, when do we obtain mercy? And the verse says it. But he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. That is what repentance is. Repentance is, I'm looking at my sin, and I agree, first of all, with God, yes, that is sin. Because we can find other, ways for, uh, other names for sin. Nicer names. Yeah, that's my weakness. That's my character. That's just my temper. Now that's just in the family. And we're excusing, excusing our sin. 
There's no way we will obtain mercy in that way. We can excuse our sin with the sins of others. Yeah, I'm doing that, but everybody else is. There's no way to obtain mercy that way. We can deal with, look at our sin and say, yes, I've sinned, but we can act just like I was reading the story of, of Saul again. What did Saul do? He had got two commandments from the Lord through Samuel. The second command he got was wipe out all the, I think it was Amalekites, wipe them all out, man, woman, child, animals, everything. What does he do? He wipes them out mostly. He leaves the king alive and he leaves the best sheep and the best goats and the best whatever alive. Samuel comes and says, you've disobeyed. And Saul's like, no, no, no. I, I've done everything the Lord asked me to do. What's the bleeding of the sheep that I'm hearing? <coughs> yeah, no, I just left the best things alive in order to sacrifice them to the Lord. Then Samuel says this, look, obedience is better than sacrifice. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. That's the way God sees things. Sees things. But what, what, did, what did Saul do? He, he uh, destroyed everything where he felt, yeah, that's the right thing to destroy. But man, these are good sheep. I can't just kill them. And we can act like that with our sin. Yeah, obviously, that is evil. That is, yeah, I need to repent of that. But this is not so bad. True repentance is we stand before God and we realize He's a holy God. And when we stand before a holy God, no sin is excusable and no sin is small because every sin is rebellion against the Creator. And so we, we stand before Him and we realize, yes, Lord, that is what I have done is rebellion against You. You didn't create me to do my own thing. You created me to live for Your glory. So I've rebelled against you. I've rebelled against the purpose that you've had for my life. And that's just, as we already had this morning as well, that's not just about deeds, not just what we do or what we say. It can be attitudes. It can be cultural biases. It can be prejudices. It can be worldviews, categories of thinking that we have, philosophies. The next thing is you agree with God's judgment on sin and you take sides with God against yourself and you, you stand with God and you say, yes, that is sin and it deserves judgment. And as you look at that, you realize, well, there's only one way this can be resolved and that is mercy because there's nothing I can plead before God. I've done it because that's what I wanted to do. It's not because, well, the circumstances, they, they were just there. That's what I've wanted to do. I wanted to rebel against him. So, Lord, yes, there's nothing I can bring to you as an excuse. I can only plead for your mercy. Lord, please. And that's the story that Jesus says. The, the two people that came to the temple, the Pharisee and then the, the tax collector. The tax collector just said, Lord, have mercy on me. I, I can't bring anything as an excuse before you. But I plead for your mercy. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says, that man went home justified. Not the other one, but that man went home justified. And you plead for God's mercy on the grounds of what Christ has done on the cross. He died for your sins, so you come to God and say, Lord, not for my sake, for the sake of what Christ has done on the cross. Forgive me. 
And as you see sin in this light, it is the logical consequence to turn away from it and to turn to God. Say, Lord, this is, I, I don't want to do this ever again. I want to honor you with my life. And really, that is just a description of what is happening when someone repents. But what is growing out of is a broken heart. And that's something I can't, I can't teach about. That's something that ha needs to happen in each one of us, where we are broken before him. And when our hearts are broken before him, that is what will happen. And then the verse continues, like with leaving those things behind, the offenses, the pain, the wounds, the weights, the things that are just keeping us back and the sin which clings so closely, leave those things behind through repentance, through receiving healing from God. And then what, what, how does it continue? Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. Looking to Jesus. Now, if we look at what the Christian life is, it really starts with looking to Jesus. And it continues with looking to Jesus. That's what Jesus says. He who sees the Son has life. To see, to look to Him, to see what He has done, life comes. And just as life comes by looking up to Him, and Jesus says it, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, and everybody that looked to the serpent was saved. So, Everyone who looks to me, as I'm lifted up from the earth, dying on a cross, everyone who looks to me will also have life. In the same way, the Christian life continues. It's a continual looking away from us, looking to him. I think I shared the, um, the poem by, little poem, <laughs> by Corrie ten Boom. Uh, look inside and be depressed. Look around and be distressed. Look to Jesus and be addressed. So that is really what the Christian life is. Continue looking to him because as we look to him, we receive. That's the way we are transformed. We're not transformed by, all right, I really need to push myself. Now I need to become a better Christian in 2019 and there's so many things that God wants me to do. So I'll just make a list and then I'll just work on that list and I'll do whatever God wants me to do. What does it say? We all with unveiled faces behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord and are thus by looking to him looking at his glory, are thus being transformed from one degree of glory to another, and that is from the Spirit, who is the Lord. That is how transformation comes, by looking to him, looking at his love again and again, looking at his kindness, his gentleness, his goodness, his graciousness, his truthfulness, his faithfulness, again and again and again. And as we do that, we change. That is how we can see somebody like John, who was a son of thunder, who wanted to call down fire. He was changed into somebody who had only one topic. Love. Love one another. Love God. Love one another. Love God. And the whole letter is just full of it. Why? Because he kept looking to the one who is love. For years and decades, 60 years, until he was so transformed. And there's some legends about, about John. Uh, the, the one time there was a mother and she had a wayward son and he was off somewhere in the woods. And he would go into the woods and just cry for the man. Just call out his name and weep and weep and weep. He didn't know where the man was, but he just walked into the woods again and again and again. And one day the boy came back. Why did he come back? Because he realized there is somebody who loves me. John really loves me. 
We see somebody like Peter who was this big mouth. Yes, of course, I can, I can do this and I'll stand by you. And then, oh no, I don't know Jesus. I, don't, I have no idea who that is. Then later in his life, he's somebody who writes letters encouraging the believers, just stand strong. Stand, don't give up. Stand strong. Persevere. Where did he learn that? Not in himself, certainly, but by looking constantly to the one who persevered to the very end, Jesus. And as he looked to him, the Holy Spirit was doing a work in his heart, and he became somebody who persevered in the midst of persecution. And then in the end, he, he was also killed by put on, being put on a cross. How did that come about? Not self-effort. Looking to him. Looking to him. So that really is the invitation that God has for us for 2019. Look to me. Look, don't look at yourself. Look to me. Don't expect change from yourself. Look to me.